Don't you fear. We've built a pro-democracy coalition, the likes of which this nation has never seen before. We've put it all out there on the line. And from now until the polls close, we must continue to work together with everything we've got to get out the vote. Show the world why you are called the Midas Mighty. And we have Tom Bonnier as our guest, the CEO of Target Smart, the industry-leading political data organization, which has already analyzed the more than 40 million early votes that have been cast so far. Because I don't know about you folks, but I don't need to hear the media whining and giving me their uneducated opinions masquerading as expert analysis. I want the real data from a real expert on what we know thus far from the early vote. And that is what we will deliver tonight. And later in the episode, we will discuss the contrast between the Democrats' closing argument, which is vote for those who will work for you, versus the Republican closing argument, which is vote for those who worship Donald Trump the most. And Midas Touch was featured on a 60 Minutes segment, uh, although it doesn't exactly show what we thought it was going to show, but shows <laughs> that the media does not get it. Democrats, former Republicans, independents reject and repudiate the deranged MAGA cult tomorrow. This is the Midas Touch Podcast midterm election edition. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by my brothers Brett and Jordy Micellis. How you feeling, brothers? It's it's so great to be here, everybody. I mean, you know, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm I'm all the feelings. I'm I'm all the feelings and more. But I am <laughs> just so excited to be here with the Midas Mighty and to be here with the brothers. Jordy, what's new with you? I'm doing well. That was such a cheap shot. So for for folks who don't know, Brett helps produce this live as it's all going on. And so the plan in the beginning was to just solely focus on on Ben for the intro. And so I thought I had a quick second to take a, a quick sip of my drink over here. And all of a sudden I look up and Brett has the camera just solely focused on me as if he's got, got me in some sort of gotcha moment. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling hyped up and I'm ready to go. I just wanted to call that out. All right, <laughs> filibuster Jordy. Thank you for calling that out. Let's get into it right away. I know all of our viewers and listeners want to watch and hear yes. from Tom Bonnier about all of the data that he has collated so far. But Brett, we were featured on 60 Minutes. You and I and Jordy, we started getting text messages and people said, I saw your tweet on 60 Minutes about Donald Trump's theft of top secret records. You're on 60 <laughs> Minutes. So I said, let's take a look at it. And what it really shows, though, is heading into the election, why there is the Midas Touch Network, why yes. more people are watching and listening to this right now than mainstream media, because they don't get it. Brett, break down what took place on this 60 Minutes episode. Uh, it really Honestly, it really showed, I think, why our country is in the situation that it's in. And I'll, I'll break it down for you. So here's what happened at a high level. So 60 Minutes aired an episode Sunday night. The lead story was social media and political polarization in America. As Ben said, where we've been grinding 24-7, working our butts off, just like all of you out there. And shout out to all the Midas Mighty and everyone who's been putting in the hours every single day. We get the text messages. We get the DMs. We get the mentions. We get 
you're on 60 we're minutes. You're on 60 features. And we're like, <laughs> and I'm like, what are they show? What about cool videos? What, 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 what happened? <laughs> what could it be? I, I, I kind of had a feeling the direction that they would go mm-hmm. in with, with this. I just, I just had a vibe. And so ultimately we get the clip and it was kind of what I thought. It was kind of like a little bit of a shot at, at Midas Touch. And I'll explain what they said. So here was the setup of the episode. This is in their like description of the episode online. They said, with midterm elections in just two days, America is in a very angry moment. Republicans attack Democrats and Democrats return fire. Social media is a showcase of our anger. And so 60 Minutes, what they do is they bring in this guy, Tristan Harris. He did the documentary Social Dilemma, which is actually a documentary that I was a big fan of. I think it was on Netflix. Really good, scary. I I do recommend it. But I actually remember when I watched that documentary, the kind of the one issue I had with that movie is very similar to the issue I had with this segment that they did about social media, because in the movie, they show how people get dragged into these these algorithms and are polarized by these algorithms mm-hmm. and their own political bubbles, which prevent people from seeing reality and leads to conspiracy theories. And I remember watching that and, and thinking, OK, but, you know, one bubble is telling the truth and one bubble is making up that JFK Jr. is alive and that he's this guy who looks nothing like JFK. Like they're different things, right? There is a truth though. Yes or or, or no. Um, and where are the dangerous lies actually coming from? Okay. But Moving on from that, they then show their opinion, uh, which are examples of how anger and polarization drives clicks was the point that they were making. And they start by showing the, quote, straight news story about Donald Trump stealing our nation's top secret documents. It was a Bloomberg post. And we'll show you the clip in just a second. But it was a Bloomberg post that said a new DOJ court filing makes a damaging accusation against former President Donald Trump. But an accompanying photo speaks volumes. Next, they show uh, to showcase the anger and how polarization drives clicks. They show a tweet from none other than Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm. Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet says, oh, OK, so the documents are so secretive that the FBI dumped them on the floor and took pictures of them. So dumbasses like you could post the pics for the world to see. So there's Marjorie spreading conspiracy theories, calling Trump's opponents dumbasses, disparaging the FBI, lying about how evidence is handled in cases. You know, she hits all the beats in that one tweet. And then they tried to say they, they say, OK, but Marjorie's tweet got, you know, 10 times the amount of traction as the original, uh, you know, Bloomberg News straight news tweet. But. This tweet and the way they, this is how they both sides it. And they say this tweet from the left, referring to Midas Touch, uh, they say this tweet from the left was equal. They, they basically imply it was equal to Marjorie's comments because we were outraged that Donald Trump stole our top secret documents. And we were, in tweet, other words, not equal. We were the left version. Like Marjorie Mar- Taylor Greene is one side of the argument. And now here are the angry left talking about their version of the story. And, and I'll read you our, our tweet, which said, it literally starts off, There's no both sides to this, folks. Donald Trump is a traitor. He stole our top secret documents, hid them, and refused to give them back. He and the GOP then engaged in a cover-up attempt, which is ongoing. They tried to destroy the FBI and DOJ to save their leader, criminal. So they use that to say, oh, look, whether it's from the left or the right, all the same thing. This outrage is driving clicks. But, I mean, let's look through our statement that that Midas touch. Everything in our statement is true. and. We should be outraged at all of that. And we've had this discussion internally at Midas Touch and with people when people ask us like, so, you know, are you worried about outrage culture? Are you worried that, you know, you are contributing to this outrage culture? And we go, you know, as we discussed it kind of internally, we kind of landed on, you know what? Not all outrage is equal, though. 
Mm-hmm. Is it like Marjorie Taylor Greene making up lies about the FBI is, is phony outrage. Tucker Carlson complaining about uh, M&Ms not wearing stiletto. That's phony outrage. But we should all be outraged that a former president stole our top secret documents, put our intelligence apparatus at risk, and that these Republicans to support him lied about it, made up stories, made up conspiracy theories about the FBI, and went on attack about it. And now I think, let me play the clip and, and we can talk about it. by the way, it. before you play the clip, and that's what Trump did on Tuesday, because on Monday he tried to further overthrow the results of the 2020 election. He tries to spread conspiracies about the 2024 election. He's trying, he's calling President Xi the king, like his king, like, like these are outrageous things. Bananas. Bananas. This shocks the conscience objectively. And imagine for one second, the media outrage, if Barack Obama Mm -hmm. or Joe Biden or any Democrat for that matter said, I call President Xi, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party. I call President Xi king. He's the king. He's the man. He's the king. He's going to be there forever. We're good friends. Great friends. Great friends. Just imagine for one second what that would look like. Right. There's a concept in law that we, you know, I studied in law school and I applied when I was a plaintiff's lawyer about intentional uh, interference or intentional infliction of emotional distress. And the idea is of what would constitute the infliction of emotional distress would, would a reasonable purpose person in a civilized society look at something objectively and call it outrageous. That is actually how you determine intentional interference with emotional distress or intentional cause of emotional distress. And like that criteria applying it here, Mm -hmm. it's outrageous. There should be an objective criteria of what is outrageous. And you you would go play it, but you would at least expect, I don't know, a 60 minutes to get this right. Uh, I'll go back to that after. Let's let's play the clip. News story on the subject received about 2000 likes. But a tweet from a Republican congresswoman calling Trump's opponents dumbasses was liked 10 times as much. And a tweet from the left labeling Donald Trump a traitor was liked 20 times more. The straight news story, you know, got retweeted a couple of times. Right. The angry stories, exponentially more tweets. Exactly, exactly. 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 Well, here's the thing, though. We should all be outraged that a former president of the United States stole top secret documents from our nation. We should all be outraged. That is outrageous. And we should all have righteous outrage that the Republican Party decided not to work in the best interest of our national security, but instead decided to lie, gaslight the American public, make up things about the FBI and go on the attack, which actually led to an attempted physical attack at an FBI. FBI office, if mm-hmm. you remember, these things have consequences and we need the media to be able to call it out. And it's frankly why when I watch that, I go, this is why we are in the position we are in today. This is why the polls for the midterms are so close, because yes. if these things were reported with the appropriate outrage, this would not even be close one iota. But I think right. there are a lot what of people is the attempted murder of Nancy Pelosi 
and Paul Pelosi mm -hmm. and how that was treated. Same thing. Like, like you could basically break it down that way. And the right said this. And then the left was very, very, very angry. And then the objective media yeah. story just said that there was a alleged home intrusion that take place. And like, it's the same thing. Like, how could we not rally together as a country? And it's not because of the Democrats. OK, it's not because of the pro-democracy the coalition. <laughs> it's not because of the left. That's common sense stuff. It is because there is a radical extremist fascist mm -hmm. party that's given up on democracy and are running against our institutions that are running in favor of what Vladimir Putin wants this country to become, who literally want to destroy the country. That's why that's an objective reality of what's going on right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, you know, at the end of the day, they just don't get it. That's why, though, platforms like ours are thriving, because people want to hear the objective facts without both sizing things. It's and uh, I just want to respond to what you said before. I said I told you I'd, I'd get back to you and I, I owe you a response. So I don't want to leave you hanging. Bring it um, but, you know, CBS is the same organization that after all the chaos in the Trump administration, they decided to hire Mick Mulvaney. Mm. as a correspondent for their mm. network. So if you want to hear and see where the minds are of these network executives that are quote unquote liberal, they are hiring Trump lackeys and this whole, and we see it with CNN and we could get into this later, but with that having Rona McDaniel and then Kevin McCarthy on their show and writing this whole puff piece about McCarthy over the weekend, which Bizarre. was really, it was just like a PR piece that they did about McCarthy. <laughs> you see that they, you know, they are, they believe that Republicans are going to win. They may or may not. And they are planting their flags in the Republican side because they want that access. Mm -hmm. And that is what we were seeing. And one of the comments that I love that I saw in one of our YouTube hits today about it was somebody said, yeah, the, you know what the media is doing? The media is walking on red eggshells. And I thought it was just like a, a great visual that they are so scared to offend Republicans that they go all in on courting them. Like it's just so, it's so, so, it's so a great. It's a great uh, political cartoon there. I could, I could totally see right? that being made. Yeah, be, I, I, <laughs> I'm no artist. I'm also not going to re rebuke you there. Like what you said is so spot on. I think where the danger comes from is like these platforms, they don't only cozy up to these fascistic leaders or, or, or what say you, they fully embrace them. Because I think the mentality for them is fascism gets them clicks. You know, fascism and divisiveness in this country is actually something that, they, that they're hoping for. Because that's how those platforms stay relevant. Instead of stay, stating the truth, which is what we do here at Midas Touch. You know, we just crossed here at Midas Touch 700,000 YouTube subscribers today. That's a movement based off unapologetically pro-democracy, you know, just facts and pushing forward the truth because truth is golden. There's a ton of people out there who are coming to this platform because they know that we will tell them the truth with no spin. And it's just unbelievable that these mainstream media over and over again continue to fall into this weird fascistic trap. So to that point, Jordy, let's go over the data before bringing Tom Bonnier in, because here's the thing. We don't necessarily know what the data will bring us tomorrow. No, I don't. But we actually have a very big data set that we can look at today with over 40 million votes that have been cast so far. And so the media 
is not looking at those 40 million votes. And we're going to ask Tom Bonnier, well, why, why don't you think that's a pretty big sample? 40 million early votes as a sample to start getting trends. And so there are certain trends that we could see now. And in the nonpartisan, respectable polls, Democrats look good, at least on a nationwide uh, basis in the morning consult Politico uh, recent poll. But here's a post from Simon Rosenberg, a political analyst who we've had on the Midas Touch Network. Uh, we had him on yesterday for a special midterm election edition and had him earlier last week. And this is what Simon Rosenberg said. He goes, as Monday has gone and we've gotten more polls, early vote data, it all remains very encouraging. Our firewall early vote margins across the U.S. keep growing. We head into election day up 50 to 39 with a 4.4 million vote lead. And then as we go into the actual polls that we're looking at, this one here, which is somehow framed very differently, the morning consult Politico poll, Democrats up 48 to Republicans 43, which Politico basically wrote a headline that this shows that Democrats are struggling. And look, we don't know what the results tomorrow are going to bring. But if you'd rather be the Democrats right now versus the Republicans heading into Election Day, I'd rather be the Democrats. And that's just an objective reality. Brett's, for those watching on YouTube, Brett's posted the Simon Rosenberg uh, tweets and, and posts and just showing that's just what the data says. Now, you need to close strong. The blue wave that we're seeing right now can be counteracted by a red wave. That's very possible that mm -hmm. that could happen. Um, that's why we need to do everything we can to turn out the vote. I also see encouraging signs at these universities of the young vote. We're going to speak to Tom Bonnier about youth vote as well. But do we have this video of people lined up at University of Michigan um, with a huge line of young people getting out to vote? Um, is that shaking your head that we don't have the video? Yeah, we, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't have the video, but people can imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were disagreeing with the long lines or that we don't have. I video. put the video in the outline. I just want to make Brett, that Jordy clear. did put the video in the outline, and there was a message about uh, the video. But uh, uh, but but getting back to Tom Bonnier, um, we got to ask Tom Bonnier the questions. I mean, he runs basically the biggest. Uh, voting data anal analyst set that exists. I want to go through very specifically what the data says. So without further ado, let's bring on Tom Bonnier. But before bringing him on, I do want to tell everybody go to check out our Patreon website at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Become a patron. We just passed 2,000 patrons. Woo! Just passed 2,000. We are not funded by any outside investors at all. So the both sides media... 60 minutes we talked about like these people are funded by like billionaires and millionaires we got zero outside investors we are doing this purely fueled by the Midas mighty so go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Midas touch join one of the memberships there's lots of great exclusive content there for you to get nowhere you can see it other than patreon but most importantly you'll help grow this independent media platform so please if you can wherever you are in the world consider going there patreon.com slash Midas touch but without further ado let's bring on tom bonnier and welcome back to 
the Midas Touch podcast, we are joined by Tom Bonnier, CEO of Target Smart and an adjunct lecturer at Howard University. Go Bison. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. So, Tom, I'm a data guy. I dig into the data. I don't ignore polls. I use it as a data point. I look skeptically at the crap ones that are flooding the zone, but I immediately am attracted to data. Where are the numbers right now coming in at? And that's how everyone's like, you got to speak to Tom Bonnier. You got to look at Tom Bonnier and what they're doing at Target Early, which has over 40 million votes cast and matched wow. into your proprietary voter file um, as of earlier this morning. Um, let's first, before getting into the data, can you maybe explain what Target Early is? and the methodology used, and then we'll go into what the data shows? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. So at Target Smart, we collect and build and maintain a national voter file. So every registered voter in the country, and then frankly, tens of millions of people who aren't registered where we have consumer data. And so what we do is we collect data. A lot of people don't realize this and they kind of freak out about this. So it's good to have an opportunity to tell people not <laughs> to freak out is we don't know who they voted for. Very clear about that. We just know whether or not someone has voted. That's public information. When you go to vote, whether you're it's a mail ballot early in person or election day, the local election, um, uh, you know, whether it's county, state, whatever, the officials there maintain a list of everyone who's voted. They make that publicly available. It depends on the state. Some states are super easy. Like you can North Carolina, you can go click, download it. Anyone can get it. Other states, not so easy. We have to have people who are actually getting it physically from those states. But we collect it from all over the country. We do two updates every day. So at this point, we're getting millions of votes tallied where they say, basically, here are the people who voted in the last since the last update, 12, 24 hours, whatever. We take that, as you said, we matched into our voter file where we have past vote history to know if these are people who voted before or they're new voters. We can look at when they registered to vote, if they're registered as a Democrat or Republican, independent, green, libertarian, you name it. And then lots of models, uh, too. So we can put all that data in context, which is really the most important thing. And that's what I like. I mean, I, I, I need the data because, again, we'll get more data on Election Day. But because of early voting, we have a sophisticated data set that points to trends. It doesn't mean the trends won't be reversed in a day. It doesn't mean that, but it means mm -hmm. we have trends that we can start to see already as opposed to the speculation and the wild headlines that exist in the media. And so what is the data at the highest level, Tom, showing so far? And then we can maybe break it down into regions, trends, demographics. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, we have over 40 million votes cast. It's something that kind of cracks me up because there's been this movement in the media where they're like, early vote, can't pay attention to it. Like, <laughs> look, if you can't learn anything from 40 million people voting and knowing exactly who they are, you're not trying very hard. And like, to your point, yeah, we don't know in the end. I said to someone the other day, it's like if I could tell you what the box score was for the World Series for the six in, first six innings for the Phillies, first three innings for the Astros, how many runs they scored, how many hits, everything. 
doesn't tell you who's going to win, but you have a greater degree of confidence at that point. You're beginning to narrow it down. So to your question, top level, what we're seeing is very good numbers for Democrats. I think there was an open question going into this election uh, and frankly, a theory that has been kind of pushed by the media to a large extent that this was going to be a typical midterm election where the party in power is just going to get wiped out. And usually the way that happens is the core base voters for the party in power don't turn out. And what the early vote is telling us is, okay, well, that's not happening. Democrats are coming out in big numbers. Doesn't tell us, you know, how big the numbers are going to be on election day for Republicans. But if anyone went into this with a theory that Republicans were just, uh, Democrats were just going to stay home and weren't going to be energized, the early vote data on a national basis is telling us it's not happening. And so let's compare that to past elections, because by all accounts, 2020 was a watershed election where turnout was incredibly high and people were energized. 2018 was the last midterms and Democrats had a good showing in 2018. And so those are two good metrics. If I'm interested in data, I'd probably say, okay, well, how's 2022 doing to 2020? a presidential and 2018, because we know usually people are less energized historically in a midterm than a presidential. So how is 2022 looking to 2020 and to 2018? Yeah. So that's the key question. That's the key context. Each of those years come with caveats, as you said. I mean, 2018 midterm elections, generally that would be our best comparison. But the difference is a lot of states have made it easier to vote early since then. That's one important thing that's happened. The other important thing that's happened is Republicans just completely flamed themselves on voting by mail, uh, thanks to President Trump. <laughs> and so it's become super polarized. That was something that was a huge Republican strategic advantage up until 2020. He told everyone it's fraud and suddenly they don't do it anymore. So it's polarized. So when I compare to 2018, I look at that, but say, OK, the mail vote, we're expecting it to be more Democratic. When I look at 2020, I'm saying, OK, well, not as many people are going to vote, vote as voted in 2020, but it's going to be high turnout. But when you compare it to those two years, there's a pretty consistent pattern that's emerging in the data across the battleground states. Democrats are accounting for a larger share of the early vote. And this is, look, we have modeled partisanship on the file because there are a lot of states where you can't register with a party. So we I'm not going to go in the weeds on that. Side conversation for anyone who wants to have it for the, the the core data geeks, but we model partisanship. Everyone's predicted Democrat, Republican, Independent. Those models validate really well. But even if you look in the states that have party registration, you're seeing the same thing. Democrats are getting a wider margin of the early vote consistently in these battleground states than they had at this point in 2020, 2018. In terms of demographic differences, this is the interesting thing. The electorate is older, it's generally whiter, it's generally more rural, and it's generally more men than it was at this point in 2018, 2020. If I just told you those things, you'd say, great news for Republicans. Yep. It's not yep. the case. So what we're seeing, one of the reasons why it's older is because younger Republicans aren't coming out. Mm. And in fact, I shared some numbers on Twitter this morning. But you look at Pennsylvania, a state where Democrats are seeing really good numbers in the early vote, huge margin uh, um, among uh, it's over 50 point margin among people who have voted already. 
when you look at the voters under the age of 30, they're accounting for a smaller share of the electorate than 18 or 20. I looked at that and I thought, well, it's not great. And then I pulled just the Democrats out. Registered Democrat younger voters are actually accounting for a larger share of the electorate than they were in those elections. So the reason why you're seeing these differences, older Democrats are coming out, younger Democrats are coming out. It's the Republicans in each of those groups that are staying home for the most part that are making the numbers look a little different. So, Tom, I was watching the Raiders game, and you'll see why this makes sense to our discussion. And at halftime, the Raiders were up 17 nothing. Okay. They ended up losing the game 27 to 20 because they didn't play defense and they stopped playing offense in the second half. But if you asked me at halftime, would I rather be the Las Vegas Raiders or the Jacksonville Jaguars? I would say I'd rather be the Raiders. And does that same philosophy seem to apply here, which if you're looking at all things equal, you'd rather be the Democrats because they've got what's the national vote advantage for Democrats? It's in the millions. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that if we don't play offense and defense and get out and vote, that things aren't going to change. Is that a way to think about it right now? Yeah, it's a perfect way to think about it, because, look, this wasn't the first football game that's ever been played. This isn't the first election that's ever happened. We can look at past football games and say a team that's up 17-0. And actually, you see that when you go to ESPN now, right? Like they have the prob- the win probabilities. And that's based on what percent of the time a team that's up 17-0 wins. And it's very high. Doesn't mean they always do, as, uh, as your example proves. Same thing with these votes. We can look at it and say... Democrats putting up such a big number doesn't mean it's all over. There are enough Republicans out there in this country who have not voted already, where if they vote tomorrow, they vote on Election Day, they can um, they can win. But there are a lot of Democrats who haven't voted, too. So if, if I'm looking at that and like that second half strategy, so to speak, for Democrats, it's the youth vote. Seeing good numbers, like I said, where young Democrats are coming out, they're being a match and even exceed their 2018, 2020 vote shares. But what I'm looking for on Election Day and that second half strategy is especially younger voters to come up big. The good news for people who want to see that to happen is when you look at the polling, Pew had a great poll on this, but the polls fairly consistently show that younger voters tell uh, pollsters that they intend to vote on Election Day more so than any other group. Because like right, 100 people, 100 million people voted before Election Day in 2020 because of the pandemic. Young people voted early in huge numbers, but more than any other group of voters, young voters say we're going to come out on Election Day. Older voters kind of liked the vote by mail early voting. They're more likely to stick. So that's why Republicans are frankly nervous when they're looking at the data, especially in states like Arizona. They're trying to get their people to vote early, vote by mail, and it's just not happening. I was checking out the early vote numbers for youth voters, and I feel like at the very beginning of things, when early voting kind of just began, I think people were a little worried that the youth vote was coming in a little slower. That pace seemed to have picked up in in a big way. Is that that what you were seeing on your end? Yeah. I mean, I was one of those people who was a little bit worried um, just because (laughs) I was doing exactly what you're talking about. That analysis is is looking at, because to me, that's what we should be doing in early vote is you don't want to compare the overall numbers we want to compare it to the same point in time. Yeah. 
because we know there are general patterns. And generally, younger voters tend, if they are voting early, they tend to vote closer to Election Day. So I was expecting those numbers to come up. That wasn't the part that worried me. It was that they were behind where they were at the same point, two, three weeks out in 2020 and 2018. Got it. that was what worried me. And then you see, really, honestly, and we're talking about like the last four, five, six days where the youth vote has really spiked. And we've seen that around right. the country. When you see people sharing uh, videos of on you know campus polling places, yeah. students lined up to early vote. We saw, we've seen that in Wisconsin. We've seen that in Texas. Uh-huh. We've seen that in Georgia. Uh, and so, yeah, I, certainly a cause for concern. I I think, you know, Democratic campaigns are clearly well aware of this. It's kind of unique, as you all know. I mean, generally midterm elections, people have this this notion that like, well, young people aren't going to vote. It's all about the old voters. It's all about the swing voters. I think Democrats learned a lesson in 2018, Mm -hmm. which was, look, we can do well in midterms if we get younger voters out. Like, shocker that we had to learn that lesson. (laughs) We had to go through 2010 and 2014 and just get our clocks clean to figure that out. But 2018... And you're seeing that happening and you're seeing the investment there um, and you're seeing the numbers turn around because of it. Yeah, sort of like a, a chicken and the egg situation where it's like young voters aren't turning out. And they're like, well, you're not talking to young voters. So what? So <laughs> something has to happen first, right? Something's got to start. What What do you make of the, the framing of these polls for Democrats? It's like I'm pulling my hair out over here every time I see this. I mean, the one I recently saw you retweet was there was a likely voter poll done by Politico. It had Democrats up 48 to 43, which is a, a pretty good lead to be having in a national poll right now. But the headline that Politico ran on this was voters appear ready to blame Democrats for economy and inflation. Like, what what the heck? Yeah, there's a narrative, as you all know, around every election, right? And the media, you know, they hesitate to move from that narrative. And I think the media was kind of buying it for a little bit after Kansas, after New York 19, after Alaska, you know, Democrats and progressives having surprise victories and the polls being wrong, right? Consistently under- representing democratic progressive support and then you know you had a few weeks ago where the poll sort of nationally went in a the, uh, the wrong direction for democrats and that was like all right the media just went back to their priors we got said, it. nope yeah. this is what we thought it was going to be all along and that's been the narrative now and so every story is written to in 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 that context when in reality as you said like the polls and, and and y'all have talked to Simon Rosenberg a ton about this, and he's doing a better job than anyone and sort of like putting that word out there. Like right. there are two entirely different worlds in polling right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, like, look, half the polls are going to be wrong this time. That's the one thing I can guarantee you because there are two different worlds. And, you know, I think the problem is when you look at least for, for the media at this point is when you look closely at those polls, they don't stand up to scrutiny very well. Like I was calling out the one in Pennsylvania right after the debate. Republicans are desperate for a narrative to show that something has changed. Right. Because right. Oz could not catch up in that race. Right. They right. believed the debate was going to be it. Suddenly a poll comes out like two days later. It was a poll that was fielded over one night, which you don't do in polling. Um, and the sample, 14 percent of their likely voter sample was under the age of 40. It's never been below 25% of the electorate in bad years for Democrats. In 2020, under 40 was 28% of the electorate. And they just do a poll where it's like, let's just forget. Let's let's That's do insane. a hypothetical exercise where young people don't exist in Pennsylvania anymore. And in that case, Oz was up, I think, two points. Okay, I'll take that. 
it's bizarre. It's, uh, it's bizarre and it's it's so manipulative. But as far as hard data is concerned, tomorrow you're getting the data in. What are the key metrics that you are looking for throughout the day? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is there are some places actually report turnout. Unfortunately, Florida is one of them. Um, and Florida is just such a bizarre state. It's, it's at always this point. Florida, right? It's always Florida. Florida is Florida and there, there's <laughs> weird stuff. I mean, I... A lot of states have actually gotten better about how they're counting and reporting the early vote vote by mail. A lot haven't, like the caveat that we all know, like Pennsylvania, it's going to take a while. California will take a while, maybe Arizona. But some of these states, when the polls close, will start uh, reporting the uh, mail and early voting totals pretty quickly. And so the cool thing you can do is you can look at target early to see what the final modeled partisanship was of that vote and how it's comparing to the actual vote totals. Georgia is a good state to look at yeah. in that regard, because they will be. They're supposedly going to report uh, the early vote early. And so I'm going to be looking at that and seeing how it lines up with our models. If it's coming close to the model partisanship there, that's a very good sign for Democrats. You can also compare that to 2020, obviously, given that President Biden won you know, by about 11,000 votes. So yeah. seeing how it's comparing to two years ago, I think will also be a really good sign. No, that's all. That's all definitely interesting. Good to know. And so when the media inevitably starts inundating us tomorrow with those exit polls and this is what voters care about, and this is with the signs that we're getting from our exit polling and we're all knowing over here, what should we be listening to, if anything, and what should we be wary of as we start getting all that information coming in? You know, listen to your favorite podcast or music. Uh, <laughs> don't listen to anything about the exit polls. Uh, I, I like I, I rant about the exit polls to no end, but people still because they come out before polls close. Right. That's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is it won't. The one thing they don't include is the head to head from the exit poll. So the press around five, six o'clock, they will start reporting and they'll say our national exit polls tell us and I'm calling it now. They're going to say that voters a wide majority of voters care about the economy. And that was their most important issue to vote. And then you're going to see the talking heads go on and say, that's not good for Democrats. <laughs> and the fact is exit polls don't gauge turnout. And that's a stupid question. If you ask people, if you're concerned about the economy, ignore it. I mean, look, for those of you who were watching the election coverage in 2018, you'll remember James Carville. I don't mean to call him out here, but I'm going to call him out a little bit. He was on TV within like 30 minutes of polls closing. He was on TV saying there's no blue wave. It's over. Mm. And then everyone starts talking about what Democrats do wrong. Right. And we all know what happened in 2018. There very much was a blue wave. It's just it's going to take time to count these votes. It's going to take time. And we know that in most states, the first votes counted will be Republican votes. So, you know, don't panic, relax, do whatever you can to distract yourself. <laughs> and then a couple hours after polls close, we'll start seeing some interesting data. Tom, where will you be getting your updates tomorrow? <laughs> uh, everywhere From himself, I can. Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> I plug, actually, easy plug, easy plug yeah, right I, there, I, Ben. I, relax, I, take it easy. <laughs> I mean, here's what I do is I, I have a bunch of spreadsheets set up that have all the historic uh, county level data. I've got the target early site that shows us what our models were, what we expected to see in the early vote. And then as soon as, here's my little tip. 
uh, for anyone who wants to copy what I do, it's not magic. Look for counties that are 100% in because you'll start seeing them very early on where there'll be some counties are super fast, some are slow. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican county, swing county, Democratic county. Find a county where they say 100% of the votes have been reported and start comparing those to how they looked in 2020, 2018. If they're more Democratic than those years, very good sign for Democrats. If they're less, not as good sign. Those are the ones to start looking at. You'll you'll get a bunch of those. And I will be sharing them on my Twitter uh, at Tibanyer. And again, the Target Early site's a good resource. I love it. Let's see if I could get another question without being berated by my older brother. So I thought it was the, a great the, question, Jordy. Th- I thanks, Brad. I appreciate yeah. that. I mean, what do you think his answer, Jordy? He's, he's getting it from MSNBC. He's the data guy. He, ben, he does the data. Ben, Ben, relax. <laughs> oh, Ben's going to get torched in the comments. The, 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 in the, the, comments. the Jordy fans are not going to be happy about this. Okay, okay, okay. Tom, the internet is a mess right now. What are your <laughs> tips to avoid misinformation and disinformation on election day? Yeah, I mean, stay off the internet. It's going to be there. Like, you can't <laughs> definitely, uh, which no one's going to do, right? I, I understand that's not, like, real. But there is so, there's going to be more bad information than good. Like, find the people, the people who you trust today are the people you should trust tomorrow. If Love it's that. someone that you see, because as we all know, stuff goes viral and it's like, it's an opportunity for people who maybe don't have that much of a presence to have that thrill of seeing something go viral and they'll throw something out there that is often wrong. So like, be careful if it's something that, you know, you don't know who this is. Um, the hot takes, the last point I'll make on this is just the hot takes that come out on election night. And even in the first couple of days are almost always wrong. And the reason is we won't actually, even though we get the early vote date in real real time as to who voted the election day vote and most states can take weeks, if not months. And so what happens is whatever someone's priors were, whatever acts they have to grind. And we're seeing this now, especially mm-hmm. on CNN, frankly, uh, where people are on and they're already saying Dems, Dems are going to lose. And here's why um, those hot takes will start pouring out the second they see anything s- where they think. They can just open the gates and start, uh, you know, backing up their priors. Ignore that stuff. Love that. And then lastly, rather than just sit back and feel hopeless, like what are some actions that our listeners can take on Election Day itself? Yeah, I mean, well, there are plenty of places and it it shouldn't be difficult to find them where you can be going out. If you're not out in the field, like the best thing is talking to people. The, The most effective form of political organizing communication is uh, in person from someone, you know, right. Next best thing is a text, a phone call, email, whatever. Um, but there are plenty of organizations you can work with where they have online texting and calling platforms, where if you have time during the day, get on them, go out there, text some voters, call some voters, uh, you know, do it right up until the polls close, which you can be doing until late in the night. Thanks to, uh, uh, our time zones. There you have it. Tom Bonnier, taking us to election day. We we appreciate you. Any final words or anything you want to say to people out there who are listening that we haven't covered? I think we covered it. I'm just excited to have have been here with (laughs) y'all. We, we appreciate you in my, I got to be honest, like there are interviews I look forward, but as a complete like data geek (laughs) leading up to the midterms, 
for I, I'm calling myself the data geek, not you. This is, and you are too. So we both are, but we are. Ben's just looking to offend everybody. This interview. <laughs> this this no interview is is what it's all about, folks. Tom, I really appreciate it. Um, your target smart data is actually data. I appreciate you sharing facts and data with our listeners, and we will be uh, watching your Twitter feed. Uh, we will be continuing to follow you and uh, appreciate everything you do. Thanks, guys. There you have it, Tom Bonier, everyone. Data geek alert. That's what I... <laughs> you're not supposed to call our... You're not supposed you, to call our guest geeks, Ben. I was calling myself a geek. That was mm, like that. I think you did say, and you too. <laughs> you did add, you add, roped him into it. You roped him into it. And you it. berated no, me the whole interview. Why can't knows. I at least get a question out without you attacking me? But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. I thought you asked, asked a great question, Jordy. And to point. everyone out there, if you support independent media like this and want to keep supporting us, we are not funded by any outside investors at all. No billionaires or millionaires who fund the both side ism media and that pro-fascism media. None of that here. We are purely fueled by democracy and powered by you. So if you want to pitch in, go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N com slash Midas Touch. Brett, you want to say something? Or are you just doing a little? No, I, I, no, I was just not. I was miming and I was you were, uh, oh, you were I was lip syncing to your read. Yeah. Lots of exclusive content at Patreon.com, but most importantly, help grow this independent media platform. And now we have a special sponsor, which was a is a Midas Mighty member, yes. which I'm I like. This. this has become, I'm excited. I want to definitely support our Midas Mighty members here on the platform. So we got that. And then we'll be right back after this with some more show. So stick around. Let me just give a quick shout out to one of our very own Midas Mighty, who's become a sponsor of this show. Her name is Tammy Stroud, and she is the founder and owner of The Fibro Spot. The Fibro Spot is a minority woman and disability sufferer-owned small business conceptualized to promote health and wellness, both physically and mentally, to people with chronic illness, chronic pain, and chronic mental health diseases, and of course, fibromyalgia. She launched the store in August of 2021, so she's been around around for just a little over a year and she's already doing great things. See, Tammy was diagnosed in 2009 with fibromyalgia and a host of other issues after a bad car accident and has now become her life's mission and purpose to help others that are dealt the same fate and have their lives totally turned upside down. If Tammy can help just one person have less pain and agony in their everyday life, she would say that she has made a difference. Some of her best products, specifically this product, the FibroSpot USB Migraine Headache and Insomnia Relief Machine, has been known to almost cure chronic migraines, help facilitate better sleeping habits, and ease the mental stimulation that comes from anxiety, depression, and BPD. And according to the FibroSpot, this wonderful machine can help one in five of those who are susceptible to migraines without taking another pill. She's had tons of five-star reviews that you can read on her website site that's thefibrospot.com with some customers even referring to the shop as the amazon of chronic illness you can find the store on facebook instagram and pinterest all at the fibrospot that's t-h-e-f-i-b-r-o-s-p-o-t and you can use the code midas3 for 20 percent off every purchase that's right even sale items what i love about this company too is they're very philanthropic they give 10 percent of proceeds of every sale to the national fibromyalgia association as well as four nonprofits that are currently assisting ukraine so go right now to www.thefibrospot.com and use the code MIDAS3 for 20% off every purchase. 
Jordy. That's awesome. And what's even more awesome is Tammy, who I've seen in the chat all throughout tonight. She's legit a Midas Mighty. So y'all Midas Mighties out there, go and support one of your own. Check out the Fibro spot. Do it. Love that. The contrast between the closing argument between the Democrats and the MAGA Republicans cannot be any starker, could it? And it was really on full display in Pennsylvania in the Commonwealth over this weekend because there was two dueling rallies basically at the same time. There was the MAGA Republican fascist circus in Latrobe. Uh, and then you had the Democratic rally with Obama and Biden and Fetterman and Shapiro at Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania. And I just want to compare these two things, if I can, for a moment so we can see, like, what are the people talking about here? What are Democrats talking about and what are the MAGA Republicans talking about to voters? And hint, 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 Democrats are talking about what they can do for voters, how to implement policies to make people's lives better, right? How do we make education more accessible? How do we make healthcare affordable for all? How do we improve everything that is in, how do we improve our infrastructure, right? How do we make sure that we protect women's freedoms? How do we protect all of these things? On the other hand, what are the MAGA Republicans talking about? What's their talking about? I I, no idea (laughs) other than Donald Trump basically saying, everyone's out to get me. It's such bullshit. Everyone's going after me. The way I get treated is so bad. Literally, that's it. Like, I don't know how you sit there at a Trump rally and just and endure that and watch. I mean, if you look at the crowd, it's actually a very teeny tiny crowd. Like it's like well, so about 1500 people, maybe a thousand people. So like there's really it's really a small crowd, much bigger crowd. But like setting aside the crowd side, much bigger crowd in the Democratic rally. But just setting aside that, like the messages. I mean, to me, politics. I'm electing people to work for me. You yes. know, like that's why that's why they're being elected. What are they going to do for the country, for the state? What are they going to do? And Donald Trump's just it's all about him. And so let's just show you just some uh, comparisons here. So this is Trump, which when he goes, when you get out of office, all these guys do, they just come after you. It's just such bullshit. Do we have that clip, Brett? There's never been a president that's been treated like you after he gets, you know, when you get out of office, you go and these guys come at you left and right on such bullshit. You've never seen anything like it. They're spying on their political rivals. Remember, they spied on my campaign. Can you imagine if we would have spied on Obama's campaign? Can you imagine? Fingernails on a chalkboard. And then he goes into that. Okay, so you talk about that. It's such bullshit. Where do you pivot to next if you're Donald Trump? Let's talk about the great relationship he has with President Xi. Play this clip. When I went to China... Because I actually, until the China virus came in, I had a great relationship with uh, President Xi. He's now president for life. I call him king. He says, no, 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 I am not king. I am president. I said, no, you're president for life. Therefore, you're the king as far as I'm concerned. But I had a great relationship with him. I mean, I said it before, but just imagine for one second that any Democrat in the country, even if it was somebody like on a school board, said that they call the head of the Chinese Communist Party King. 
I'm not even if it wasn't on a school board, if it was just like a college student, literally any, any at, at an event, people would say, oh, look at look at what's going on here. I mean, that is the leader of their cult. And then you compare that to Obama's message about we need to move beyond these slash and burn politics. Just let's see the contrast here. The kind of slash and burn politics that we're seeing right now, that doesn't have to be who we are. We can be better. And, and, and it has nothing to do, by the way, with political correctness or being too woke. It's about fundamental values that my grandparents from Kansas taught me. Values I grew up with, values you grew up with, values we try to teach our kids, values we learn in churches and mosques and synagogues and temples, honesty, fairness, opportunity, hard work, values that Josh Shapiro and John Spetterman stand for, values that Joe Biden stands for, values that were enshrined in our founding documents a few miles from here, a clarion call for freedom and equality that Philly's own Liberty Bell represents. That's what America stands for. That's who we are. I mean, there, <laughs> there you have Obama <laughs> yes, yes. No, talking about values and talking about Ooh. why you need to vote for these candidates because of the values that they have. We're not talking about slash and burn. We're not talking about dividing this country and compare that though. 60 to- minutes here for a second. So you see, you got one former president who's angry, but then you got another former president who's also angry. I see what you did there. You see what yeah. Barack Obama is yelling and Donald Trump, lots of yelling here. But like compare the way (laughs) Obama just talked about Shapiro and Fetterman and Biden. Compare that to what Trump says when he points to Oz and Mastriano and then how he then just like gives them like one second. Like this is the perfect contrast here because you see Obama talking to about the people who he's there for. Just watch what Trump does when he then talks about Oz and then automatically goes back into Mar-a-Lago and the DOJ. Play this Lunatics. Clip. Lunatics. Hold, hold on one second. I can't find this one. <laughs> oh, Brett, oh, come on, man. Brett, over, over, over. Brett, do we have the Michigan video at least of the people in the lines while you find the uh, uh, do Oh, do we have the lines video? Oh, yes, we do. Look at those <laughs> incredible, at those students right incredible right lines, students lined up. Lined up. I, I, I don't let, let's, see any let's go into Josh. USA. I don't see any signs there saying we are domestic terrorists. So I feel Can I very- just say one thing about that lines video? As beautiful as it is seeing the kids that are you know waiting online, doing their civic duty to go and vote, it eerily reminds me of those stories that were pitched as, you know, the heartwarming stories from the nightly news segments of, of, oh, grandma walked nine miles to get her COVID shot and she got it. And that's awesome. And that is awesome. But why did she have to walk nine miles? So what I'm saying is when you're looking at that video, I'm so proud of those kids waiting on that line to go, to go and cast their vote. But why is it so hard for them to do it? Good point there, Jordy. Thanks. Brett, do you have you pulled up the video yet? Or are you no, filibuster, I think, Jordy? <laughs> filibuster, <laughs> I try, I try, I try, Jordy? Try to the right way. 
No, it was, it, it was, it was a good filibuster, but uh, here, let's go to Josh Shapiro's uh, comments though, yes, because this it, is a, th- this is somebody who I think a lot of people across the country don't necessarily know Josh Shapiro. Uh, we've gotten to know Josh Shapiro very well because Jordy's in Pennsylvania. Jordy played basketball and get one-on-one against Josh Shapiro. Very cool. Let's listen to Josh Shapiro make the case as to why Democrats are the party for freedom in this incredible, incredible moment. Unbelievable. That's not how we do things in this country commonwealth or in this country and that is not freedom you know this guy loves to talk a good game about freedom right let me tell you something it's not freedom to tell women what they're allowed to do with their bodies that's not freedom it's not freedom to tell our children what books they're allowed to read It's not freedom when he gets to decide who you're allowed to marry. I say love is love. It's not freedom to say you can work a 40-hour work week, but you can't be a member of a union. That's not freedom. And it sure as hell isn't freedom to say you can go vote, but he gets to pick the winner. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. But you know what? You know what we're for? We're for real freedom. And let me tell you what, let me tell you what real freedom is. Real freedom is when you see that young child in North Philly and you see the potential in her, so you invest in her public school. That's real freedom. That's real freedom. freedom comes when we invest in that young child's neighborhood to make sure it's safe so she gets to her 18th birthday that's real freedom i mean again like inspiration talking about actual issues that people care about speaking about people's lives what the meaning of freedom is when you compare that to what's going on at these trump rallies it really should be undeniable but the fact is we unfortunately don't have a corporate media that is actually putting those up side by side in that way to really let people know the stakes of these elections and i think that's why you know that's why these elections are so close right now josh shapiro is a superstar <laughs> He's a superstar. And look, we don't fanboy over politicians for the sake of for the sake of fanboying over politicians. That's not who we are as, as brothers or at Midas Touch or the Midas Mighty. That's not what we do. We like politicians who we know, who we feel comfortable with when they come in, that they're going to enact real policy. They're going to enact real change. And so many people lately have been saying like, man, who is this next Obama figure for the Democrats? Who, who could that be? I'm telling you right now, that's Josh Shapiro. He's going to be the next governor of Pennsylvania. And after he wins that, the sky's the limit for this man. Because undoubtedly, he's absolutely loved here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And after that moment right there on a national stage, well, that was coming out party. I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, Trump is speaking live right now in Ohio. And one of the things that uh, he just said that I got word about is he called Nancy Pelosi an animal. And he literally said that to, you know, and so you just compare that him calling Nancy Pelosi an animal, just even based on the clips that we just showed you. 
um, literally that just occurred right now. And I just, it, it is a movement. It's gross. It's a movement of hate, this MAGA extremism. It's a movement of fascism. It is an incredibly dangerous movement. And we got to call it out. It goes back to the very beginning of this episode with 60 Minutes. And the mainstream media just ignores that. There won't even be a headline uh, tomorrow. Won't even be a story written about it. That the leader of their cult, the leader of their political mm-hmm. party, is out there doing those things. And instead, the media will write the stories, the bolt side stories. There's a lot of anger here. There's a lot of anger here. Why don't we just do the the straight news stories that say it? And why why is it like no? There is an objective reality that we live in. And just speaking about objective reality, I want to close this out, though, by talking about someone who I think he actually knows better, Ted Cruz, but chooses to create the you don't think he knows better, Jordy? I mean, I'm worried that Brett doesn't have the clip. I have have Ted Cruz getting booed for sure. I'm not even worried so much about the clip. He got booed. I, I, don't worry about it if you had the clip or not, Brett. There's a video of Ted Cruz in uh, in Houston getting booed. Let's just uh, he gets booed. But I want to talk more about what his social media manager said to us. What the response was. You don't have to show the video, Brett. Brett, show the video. I, I no, believe he, he has the it. video. He doesn't show the Go video. Go ahead. No, he's. He also got what we refer to as a New York welcome with those fingers in the sky. <laughs> there you go. How you doing? So then what happened? Todd, uh, walk us through what, what happened next. All right. So, you know, I got I got a post about it. I mean, Ted Cruz, no matter where he goes, the guy gets booed. He goes to New York. He gets booed. He probably I forget if he said this or not, but he probably said, oh, it's those liberal East Coasters, New York coastal elites booing me. Guy goes to Texas, gets booed in Houston by his own people. Um, the guy just is like on a humiliation tour. I think like remember back in the day, old time listeners of the Midas Touch podcast will remember that we used to call the Republicans BDSM uh, Republicans because they seem to get a, th- a thrill out of uh, being humiliated on, on a public scale. And Jordan didn't like that. We, 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 we retired that, Brett. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We unretired it because then I realized that's hilarious. And that's exactly what Ted <laughs> Cruz is. He's a total BDSM Republican. We're not kink shaming. We're Ted no, Cruz you can be with him, but, but Ted Cruz uh, clearly Ted, likes the humiliation. Loves I didn't get the memo. I thought we retired it. No, no, it's still going. So, but then Ted Cruz is like <laughs> spokesperson, the guy who like tweets for Ted Cruz. He's like obsessed with Midas. Like he, he, he will respond to his guy's name. His name is Steve Guest. Little Steve res- Guest. <laughs> he will respond to like anytime I talk about Ted Cruz in a tweet, he'll respond with the most like ridiculous gaslighting response on the planet. Like when Ted Cruz voted against the PACT Act and we called him out on it, he was like, Ted Cruz actually voted for it. I was like, Dude, he he didn't. I have it on video. Do you know what all the fuss has been about the past few weeks? It's because Ted Cruz has held this thing up. So Steve guessed uh, Ted Cruz's whatever he does for Ted Cruz. He responds to us with this message saying, tons of people were cheering too. Of course, you guys aren't going to focus (laughs) on that because you're a bunch of hacks who want to ruin baseball. You got me. You you got me, Steve. That's that's we're we're an organization here to ruin baseball. Midas Touch was solely started 
to, to ruin, ruin the game of baseball. I, just, I love baseball. Guys. So, and so he posts a video of like people tepidly cheering, but Ted Cruz is nowhere to be seen. They're holding up Astros champs uh, signs. Like they're clearly cheering on the Houston Astros in the clip that he sends. But anyway, we, we had to respond with this meme, which is pretty funny. It was uh, the Nathan Fielder uh, <laughs> meme. If you guys know the comedian, Nathan Fielder. And we wrote tons of people are actually cheering too. They're just all out of the frame. <laughs> with Nathan Fielder's photo. And then he responded with something stupid being like, oh, but actually I swear people were clapping. And it's like, okay, you must be into this humiliation thing as well, Steve. Um, but anyway, that, that was a fun little moment. But listen, tomorrow's the day, or if you're listening to this on audio, today is the day. And there's going to be a lot of disinformation. There's going to be a lot of chaos. A lot of this is going to be stoked by the Republican Party, and they're already making their plan clear. It's very obvious to anybody right now paying attention. They're even saying it at the rallies. They're saying it on TV. The GOP plan for election night is similar to what they did on in 2020. They're going to rely on the quote unquote red mirage. That is Republican ballots will be counted first because the same day votes will be counted first. Those are going to favor Republicans. They are going to they're they're going to then demand that they stop the count. Remember, stop the count, stop the count. They're going to demand stop the count. It's ridiculous. We should know the night of the election. It's this is crazy. And then they're going to use the time that it takes to count those extra ballots because the mail-in ballots, the overseas ballots and stuff, in a lot of states, they're not even allowed to be counted until polls close, which puts the Democratic tabulations at a, a automatic disadvantage. And that is because of Republicans. So because of what Republicans have done in the, in the state legislatures, it, it was going to look probably early on that Republicans are winning this thing. And then the other votes are going to be counted, and then it could go in either direction. Democrats could win. Republicans could win. We don't know. And we're not going to tell you that we know. And anybody who tells you that they know the results of tomorrow, the outcomes of tomorrow is lying to you. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But what I implore you is do not fall for the right wing MAGA gaslighting tactics. When the polls close and the count begins and they start reading the exit polls that Tom was speaking about, do not fall for those tactics. Keep your head down, find something to distract you with, check in with us, see what we're doing, and let's just hit the floor running. Let's do everything we can. We're laying it all out on the field right now. That's the most we could do, and we will see what the results are tomorrow. But during the day tomorrow also, Hit up five friends, hit up 10 friends, let your vote be exponential. Try to get as many people to the polls as possible because you could literally be the difference maker in this election. Drown out all the noise, focus on voting, focus on getting other people out to vote. And for those watching uh, tonight or whenever you watch this before the election, as Brett said, make that phone call right away. Call whoever it is that you know who you think can vote blue or you can persuade to vote blue. Offer any help you can to bring them to the polls. It is that important. And as Brett said, you can be the difference maker here. What we do know is that while there is a lead right now based on early votes, we need to still come out in very big numbers. Big. Tomorrow. Big numbers tomorrow. And tomorrow we got to shock the world with this pro-democracy coalition. I want to tell everybody to check out our Patreon website and please become a patron of the Midas Touch network by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's P-A-T- 
R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. We always get asked by you, no matter where you are in the world, what can you do to help grow this independent media platform? Well, no pressure if you can, but if you can, this goes a very long way. We are not funded by any millionaires or billionaires. In fact, we have zero outside investors. Yet not only do we compete with mainstream media, but in many instances, we beat them and get more views. And this is also because we're not just a network, but we are a community. And this community means everything to us. And I know you probably subscribe to a bunch of things. And so I don't mean to ask you to subscribe to one more thing, but I know you watch this and you listen to this and you're a big supporter of the Midas Touch Network. And so please, if you can, join us at Patreon dot com slash Midas Touch. There's lots of exclusive content there that's exclusive to Patreon. Don't worry for all the people who watch our YouTube. We're still going to give you all the free content. But over at Patreon, we've got exclusive content like behind the scenes footage, extra podcasts like we released an extra podcast there today, a Q&A session with the brothers and a number of other features. You could even become a honorary producer Ooh. of the Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear like that it does keeps right going. now. Thank you to our honorary producers. We just passed 2,000 patrons. I'm looking to get to 3,000 patrons by the end of the year. Would love to reach 3,000 patrons. And you can get postcards and posters and exclusive merch drops and so much more because one of the things I also think is very important, a critical date here, is November 9th. And not just because that's when votes are likely to be counted still as well, but also because the pro-democracy movement that we are building here is not tethered to any single election. You know, we worked our butts off for the 2020 election, but as soon as that ended, we made a commitment to build this pro-democracy movement and network and the state of our pro-democracy movement and network is strong, but what we're trying to build here is generational. Look, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the Democrats in future elections, I can't say they're going to win everyone in the future, okay? <laughs> That's just not a likely scenario and outcome, but a pro-democracy movement built on these important values uh, emphasizing the need for a strong democracy, but also compassion and fighting for people and fighting for workers and fighting for people to have health care and access to education and to really improve our country and to make sure that women have all of the freedoms that they deserve and all people are treated with dignity. We need to make sure that the foundation of that movement is strong, that surpasses just one election and is generational in nature. And that is what we strive to build here at the Midas Touch Network. And that is the infrastructure we are building. So your help by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch and joining is helpful to that larger and broader effort. And we are going nowhere. We are going nowhere after this election other than anywhere. continuing to build this community 
with you. Also, check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear. That's store.midastouch.com. Make sure you subscribe as well to the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe if you're a YouTube watcher to the audio. For audio listeners, please make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Leave a five-star review. Get out and vote. Spread the word to vote. It's in our hands now, Midas Mighty. Show them why they call you the Mighty. Jordy, take it away. Shout out to the Midas Mighty! At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.